wants to shut down the protection grid, Peter. You shut that thing down, and we are not going to be held responsible for contract, whatever happens. No, we won't be shut held it responsible. Off. Don't shut it off. I'm warning you. Um, I, I've never seen anything like this before. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not interested in your opinion. Just shut it off. My friend, don't be a jerk. Step aside. If he does that again, you can shoot him. You do your job, pencil neck. Don't tell me how to do mine. Thank you, officer. Shut it off! Welcome back to another episode of the Fear of God podcast. What a time to be a Fear of God listener. What a time to be a Fear of God host. Um, we are in the thick of a series. We'll get, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Guys, I'm just so excited. So we are, pff, we, I am, sometimes I just speak in plurals. Um, it's just a thing I do. Um, I am Nathan Rouse, one of your hosts Typically with me is uh, fellow host Reed Lackey, but he needed to go check in on his spores and molds and fungus collection. Um, In addition, he uh, alluded to the need to play some Twister and to do some breakdancing. There's just a lot going on in Reed's life right now. You know, I, I guess I will tidy up some of the business stuff while he is gone. You are currently listening to the Fear of God podcast. Where here at the fear of God, we find the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find out just what it might be that saves us. One little bit of business while Reed's gone. I meant to mention this last week. I am pretty sure by the time this airs, this will be in play. We finally, finally, finally have a forum whereby you can get fear of God t-shirts. Go to the fear of God podcast group on Facebook. We will post it in the various socials, but T Public is a website um, that features uh, outfits like us producing outfits for you. You like how I did that? So, a little bit of business there. Yay, that's super exciting. T-shirts from the fear of God. Just tell your friends, buy them for enemies, you know, like for those that person who just happens to like the intersection of faith and horror. I know there are plentiful out there of people who are like us. So get your t-shirt, um, support the fear of God that way. It's awesome. You're awesome. Here we are. In addition to things that illustrate your and our awesomeness, go to iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review. Um, it'd be really amazing if you did that because I post those on Instagram. I mean, we post those. I don't know who, who does that exactly. You know, it's a secret staff member, uh, on Thursdays for our throwback Thursdays, we post those reviews. Um, the kind words you guys throw our way, which we're super appreciative of. We post those up on Instagram just as a way of saying, thank you. Um, so we would really appreciate if you would go leave us a rating, write us a review, and then go buy a t-shirt. We'll probably do some contests in the coming days, weeks, months, years for some t-shirts and some stickers and some fear of God goodness. In the meantime, read, read, you are back for funny or die number two. And goodness gracious, you are sweating. That was some intense twister and breakdancing, huh? There is no read, only Zool. You do look kind of dog-like. That's rough. That's get it rough. Are, are you the key master? 
See, I don't, I don't know what it means if I say I'm the gatekeeper or whatever the thing is that the other one says. Cause, it means. You know, like, this... <laughs> I've been feeling. You like how I just trail off because I, I don't did. know the words. I, um, <laughs> I love how many songs you instantly recognize and know none of the words. Yep. I did. It's it, it's pretty that's frequent. That's how I do. Yeah, that's I'm how you a, do. You do I'm you. A to- I'm a tune guy. <laughs> it's all tune. about the melody. Yeah. So, Riri. hey, buddy, how you doing? Welcome back. I'm good. I'm glad you broke out of your dog shell carcass thing. I did. And oh, joined us. I'm so excited to be here at Funny or Die. This is last week was so exciting for me. This week is also very, very exciting. I just this is going to be an amazing summer. I'm just I'm really I don't even know if the listeners are going to have half the fun that hopefully you, but definitely me, have on this <laughs> show. But it's it's oh, yeah. I love it. Well, cool. Well, let's um, <laughs> let's before we dive too far down this path. Do you want to like... What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? What you watching? Reading? Listening to? That's actually just going to be the next couple of reading hours and listening to us. What you watching? Yeah, reading and listening to. What's uh, great that the listeners don't know is I asked you to do that because I couldn't get the tune in my head, and then once you got it in my head, I couldn't get it out, and here I am. <laughs> So what cool. am I watching? What am I reading? What am I listening to? We don't yes. want to take up too much time here because we got a lot of ground to cover. We as do. you know, if you listen to last week's, <laughs> you know, just sort of clock breaking time frame, um, it wasn't quite. But a good conversation. So my what you're watching this week, um, I did recently watch the Netflix special featuring one Brene Brown mm. called "The Call to Courage." Um, I know you and I have chatted just off pod over the last few years and her name has come up this and here and there, but like, have you read any Brene? I have not. No, I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar with Brene Brown. Well, yeah. So you mentioned having not being that familiar. So one, if you're going to read some Brene, a great starting point is Daring Greatly. I did have the pleasure of hearing her speak a couple years ago, but the most kind of distilled version of what she does is represented in this Netflix uh, I think it's hour 15-ish mm. special. And like, I, I don't know. I, I don't totally know how to describe it. It's kind of part inspirational, part motivational, part just how to be a better human type of mm. kind of talk. Right, right. But she's got her doctorate. She's a researcher. Um, she reach, researches shame and vulnerability. Oh, which wow. Is, yeah. Um, which is a really powerful topic. Like they research this. They have data to support how people deal or don't as they encounter shame, what, what oh, triggers man. shame, what causes shame, what, and, and, you know, you'll come away from this little special. If you watch it, uh, calling it a little special feels dismissive. I actually couldn't heap more praise on it, but there's, there's wonderful little, you know, aphorisms. <laughs> I don't think that's right. <laughs> um, We're just but wonderful. To that word yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to just shove it wherever. Just aphorism. <laughs> um, shove it up your aphorism. Um, <laughs> um, wow. But little, little quotables, like one that's really stayed with me is she talks about choosing courage over comfort. And, and it's right. just little, these little notes like that. There's mm. one about the story we tell ourselves. So, she, she gives this anecdote of an interaction she had with her husband that was just misfiring. They just were not connecting. Mm. And she adopts this, this sort of posture from her own research of kind of in trying to connect with her husband saying, okay, the story I'm telling myself right now is X. And she fills in the blank. And so, in other words, it's like if, if, if we're missing each other, I'm, I've begun building a narrative in my head that right. might be false. right. And so it's being able to use these these linguistic skills to articulate that shame, that vulnerability to move forward into deeper relationship. Anyway, super powerful. Uh, the Call to Courage on Netflix with Brene Brown is a lot, a lot of fun. I mean, it is fun and it is a little bit funny, but it's very much worth your time if you like being a really cool human. I, I was going to ask you how much in the special itself she goes into that work on – on shame because that's incredibly fascinating to me. I mean, I've, I mean that's 
that's her whole that's the entirety you know, of or like the the foundation well in of, other words this it's not even so much that the special is about that as much as her life's work is on the study of shame and vulnerability in human relationships well uh, yeah i've uh, you've mentioned brene brown before off pod and i think even on pod you've mentioned her before so it's definitely something that i'm interested and curious to check out so my watch and read and listening to is one that I know you have seen because I kind of low-key pressured you to see it. Um, recently, I finally checked out having really nothing but moderate affection for the very first entry in the franchise, having n- little to no affection, <laughs> I mean, no interest, let alone affection in the rest of the franchise. But I saw uh, Bumblebee. Uh, I have, oh, I have yeah. I've had very little affection for the Transformers uh, series as a whole, but Bumblebee was an utter delight. It was just absolutely fantastic. And one of the things that I loved, one of the things I'm going to call out about Bumblebee is this idea of, so uh, this is going to sound perhaps like a bit of a weird pivot, but the transform among several other things, just the, uh, the extravagance of it, the, the oversaturation of CG robots and monsters and whatever, they also, the Transformers films, uh, have a bit of a history and reputation for, like, hyper-sexualizing their female characters. Does that make sense when right. I say that? Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I did see the first one. <laughs> and and so, one of the things I really appreciated about Bumblebee is it feels like not only did they not do that with Haley Steinfeld, it feels like they actively sort of resisted that like went in almost the opposite direction. Like I love little moments like she's never in anything that's uh, what I would call remotely like scantily clad or anything like that. Like she's not at all uh, sexualized as a character. And even with the neighbor that she has this sort of uh, mild romantic fascination with, um, I love the fact that like she kisses him on the cheek. And then at even at the end of the film, when they're like, he goes and reaches for her hand, and she even's like, ah, oh, yeah, uh, not there yet, you know? That was and, great. Oh, yeah. it was wonderful. And, I mean, that's not what the entire movie is about. <laughs> the movie has a sense of heart. Um, it's got a sense of fun back in the franchise. I really just enjoyed the heck out of Bumblebee. And uh, I got to I gotta mention it. Uh, there is John Cena plays a role, and, uh, and at one point you think he's pretty much going to be the primary villain, which... For a good chunk of the narrative, he he somewhat fits that mold. Um, but there's this one line where he is in the house where Haley Steinfeld's character lives. Uh, Charlie's her name. He's in uh, Charlie's house talking with her mom, and her father in the movie is has passed away, and so her mom is dating this new guy. And he's saying, like, yeah, she stole government property and all this. And then there's this like blink and you'll miss it line where the as charlie like storms out of the room you know they're lying about me all this other sort of stuff she storms out of the room and then in this awkward recovery the 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 boyfriend kind of says you know when i was going through puberty i i stole some stuff and he says i i stole a box of malamars once and then john cena just says we know (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Well, and then they just cut right out of the scene. No, like it's they, they don't call it. It's brilliant. Oh, it's brilliant. It's so brilliant. So, but uh, but yeah. I, so. I do want to acknowledge, like you, you. I don't know if if this was intentional, but it felt like you were sort of su- surprised by some of the sensitivity of the the sort of femininity of this movie. Right. Well, it is it is a woman writer, so a woman wrote it. Oh. And then. Travis Knight, who directed Kubo, directed it. So it just kind of makes a lot of sense that it's a more sensitive take. Sure. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, what was it I watched recently? Oh, um, I referenced this last week. And I guess this can be part of a, a what you're watching. Like, you were never really here. Oh, um, right. With uh, Lynn Ramsey you know, wrote and directed. Yeah, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix starring Lynn Ramsey directed. She wrote it as well, I guess. Um, I think she. But, I think she wrote it. You know, I, I don't know if some of these movies, like, knowledge of that makes you biased towards it or whatever. But, like, it just stands out. A movie like You Were Never Really Here, it doesn't matter the content so much. But it's 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 about a violent man's violent life. But so little of the right. violence actually takes place on screen. Mm, and so right, that's right. that speaks volumes, you know, that, that clearly it's not about the violence, but about what the violence does to him. 
Well, then you've got something like Bumblebee, which as you've illustrated, I showed it to my daughters and they loved it. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wondered if they would. Watch it, and and the oldest one has been talking about the friendship between her and the neighbor, and Mm, like, yeah, they just they just really loved it. And I don't know. I think he his name makes money, so it's kind of hard to knock it from a capitalistic standpoint. But there's a certain point where the Michael Bay's of the world become white noise, and it's like, sure, yeah, there's nothing. You're not saying anything. You're not doing anything interesting. You're just loud yeah and chaotic and so you get you give the the tools you know stephen king in his book on writing talks about your toolbox of what you use in your skill sets like you you give the toolbox or you say to someone who's rarely had the opportunity hey your turn well they're going to show you something interesting and Mm -hmm. different and absolutely give a new perspective i don't know so i'm with you like i would i would I'd, it'd be hard pressed for me to be like I loved Bumblebee, mm. but I love every I love a whole lot about it, and sure, I really right. liked it a lot. So yeah. yes, I'm with you. It's a it's a really good flick. And if we and and it's funny too because f- I think like four or five films into the Transformers franchise, I was so just rolling my eyes every time I heard they were even making a new one. And right. Bumblebee managed by just taking this very pared down simplistic take managed to actively kind of make me want more like this. I don't want more like what we've already seen, but I want more sure. like this. And um, so, yeah, I found that pretty impressive. So that's been another episode of what you, what you, what you, what you watching and what you, what you, what you, what you listening. What you listening to. What you watching, listening. What you what you listening to? <laughs> wow, that's a little the Tom foolery. People who yeah, that's okay. Though. <laughs> uh, people who like don't love us for our humor are like, I am out yep. for two months. Done, done. Yep, because that's all it's gonna be. It's just gonna be. No, I gotta be movies. honest. If you don't love us, if you don't partly love us for our humor, how are you still here? <laughs> that's a great question. That is an active great question. Um, so Nathan, we have Reed. Uh, we have a, a whole film to talk about, but before we get into we uh, the the Bros Four, so before we get into that lovely quartet, so so we've got another segment that we have to talk uh-huh. about. Um, okay. And you you tasked me with something last yeah. week. Yeah. Um. And so uh, what you tasked me with was to find a theme for this. I- for, yeah. for this new this new segment or 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 make a theme it's like me so yeah. yeah so i could uh, my mind immediately went to one of okay. my favorite themes uh ever uh and I, I don't think that we've ever utilized this in any other form or version so um okay so we are about to go into <laughs> tv guide pull. <laughs> I love that audience members, listeners can't see that at the end of your little note there, the dog reached up to lick your face to because like, you to like silence because you started you started speaking his language in that high pitch. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, we are. Hashtag- yeah. Okay. Well. Oh, see, in, you, in the spirit, you, you call me in the spirit it. of yeah. I was gonna say in the spirit of funny or die. That one might be a die. Wow. You come up with something, you jerk. I got to work on it. Yeah. Next week, maybe. Wow. Um, that was Star Trek, right? Well, of course it was Star Trek. Wow. Yeah. It yeah, really yeah. bad yeah. if you didn't even get the get the joke. Well, no, I, I did get it. I just. Wah, yeah. wah. <laughs> Listeners play a drinking game for how many things Reed tries and Nathan's just like, no. Ash versus Evil Dead. Epi- season one, episodes four through six, <laughs> which is the arc with Brujo. Brujo. Um, yes. Basically. And then the diner. Yes. Um, any, any, do, do you want to dive deep on these? Do you want to just throw a few scares no, and laughs? No, whatever? Let's, uh, we can keep this pretty, pretty superficial, pretty rudimentary. This is of course, uh, following the adventures of Ash and Kelly and Pablo as they continue to struggle to, uh, silence and cast away the deadites back into wherever they were summoned from. Um, so yes, as part of that effort, 
Pablo's uncle is like a like a shaman, um, and uh, and he's referred to as a brujo, and so they go to visit him, and for they're there for at least two episodes, and then you know chaotic mayhem ensues. Uh, while they're there, Kelly is possessed of the demon that they summoned in episode three, uh, but nobody knows it at first, and so there's there's some nice tension there in the fact that there's some uh, some threat that the the trio is unaware of. Um, but no, uh, we can, you know, with, with a brief summary of sort of the events of the episodes, uh, we can just go through some highlights, just some, you know, things we liked or didn't like about, about what we see. Well, and something, something too that culminates in this trio of episodes is the cop scene we referenced last week that is actually yes. pretty scary. There's a, there's a police woman who is actually not on duty because she got kicked off for, for some extreme actions, yes. I think. Um, for killing and, her partner they're investigating oh it, well but, yeah, yeah yeah because he's a deadite but they don't know anything about that so right but she's track she's tracking ash thinking he's causing all this bedlam mm-hmm. and she runs into lucy lawless um aka xena aka i don't remember her name from the x-files x-files comes up two weeks in a row That's great. wow um, but she's uh, ruby aka in this. in this show ruby yes, yes. so uh, anyway, so so Ash and his trio are being pursued by the policewoman. That culminates in a diner scene in the sixth episode. But during the Brujo stuff, um, yeah. So I mean, the the Kelly possession stuff was pretty good. I think. Yeah. In terms of probably, I'm trying to look at my notes here real quick. So one of the funniest bits of this trio of episodes, I think, was the scene in episode five at the top of it's the tease for episode five, the cold <laughs> open, uh, where Ash is tied up. Oh, and they're yes. all discussing his he's gagged because because possessed Kelly has convinced Pablo and Brujo that Ash is actually possessed. Right. So they've tied him up, gagged him. They're all discussing his potential fate and his Bruce Campbell's kind of performance in response to their discussing his fate is really funny. It's, and see, I wrote it down and it's funny because I didn't know how much we hadn't really talked about it. I, I kind of convinced you to, to tag along for a uh, TV guidepost with this show, but I didn't know exactly how on board you were going to be for everything. So I wrote down specifically, I, I laugh a lot openly during his whole gagged scene but i was just like it's really funny to me so it delights me to hear you say that you that you enjoy oh, yeah. it too it's so funny. Very funny because you can understand what he's saying but at the same time it's not really uh totally intelligible so yeah i love that i guess you could consider these i guess somewhat trivial bits but i wanted to point out two things so the little uh, it's been a part of the series for as long as the films have been around that uh particular camera effect where the camera uh, like rapidly sort of moves towards whatever character we're seeing or whatever uh, it, it's that it's that quick cut across the landscape where the camera just yeah. like flies forward. Well, you always could tell in the films that the characters were looking at something that they were noticing something, but we never saw what that something was. So this is the first time we actually get to see that it's kind of like a dust cloud. Ash calls it a drafter. And I thought that looked pretty cool. It's like, oh yeah, this is the first. This has been an element of since the very first film, but we've never gotten to see what that looks like to the other characters. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, the other connection is Ruby says she's related to Annie Noby, which I know you've seen the movie now, but I don't know if you could, pe- had pegged that. Annie is the character from Evil Dead Two that kind of lingers around a bit. She's the last one yeah. to die. So um, Ruby says that's her. That's her sister. And uh, so she's collected Ash's deadite hand from that same film, and uh, so there's just a, a lot in, in. Yeah, I do appreciate the yeah the continuity threads. There. Yeah, yeah, and that's this is this trio of episodes is where they really start to tie some of those things in. So I appreciate that a lot. One of my big notes is so the middle episode of these three, the one called the host, wherein Kelly is possessed and they're trying uh-huh. to exercise her. Um, it's not my favorite episode, but it's the episode at which I began to love the show because before that I liked the show. I was enjoying the show, but this is the episode where we start to get particularly at the end of it. Like Pablo's uncle does not survive the episode. I mean, spoiler alert for all these, but, um, Pablo's uncle does not survive the episode. And so at the end you have like some genuine sentiment surrounding Pablo's uncle's death. Then you have Ash expressing some genuine sentiment towards 
Kelly and Pablo. Uh, Pablo has taken the efforts to make Ash this cool new hand. So there's a lot of, I had mentioned before, like some of the the sentiment that begins to crop up in ostensibly this gory, grimy horror comedy. And uh, and so I just really like it. This The host was the first episode when I was first watching the show. The host was the first episode where I was like, I love this. Like, I really just enjoy what they're developing out of this. So, uh, so yeah, I just had to call all of that out. Thank you. <laughs> Do you have any more notes on any of these? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, in terms of just... Yeah, just cursing you know, stuff. Kind of, kind of gross out factor. I mean, the the leeches or whatever that is Whoa. during the exorcism is disgusting. Whoa. Yes, um, it is it, in episode six. It's a pretty wild skirmish with the skeleton and Ruby. Um, yes, who then kind of vanish into the fire. And I love, you know, this is just the nature of this stuff, though. It's like the cop who's there doesn't seem really phased by the fact that they just vanished into the fire it's like oh exactly okay. well one of my big dings to the show and specifically to this first season i don't have many criticisms of the show but one of them is i feel like officer fisher is is a bit unbelievably one note where like she's so stubbornly on like no ash is responsible for this and oh i'm gonna chase down ash and then like you said you know incredulous to Things like, oh, that skeleton just got up and walked out and, and amazingly knew Ruby and now like all this other sort right, of stuff. Right. So so anyway, so that's yeah, all of that to say all of that. My last gross out note is when Kelly thin slices the waitress in the back of the diner and then pummels her brains in. That was pretty nasty. That's glorious. <laughs> she is the, like she finally gets to kill a deadite and it is in one of the I love that like Pablo and Ash are watching her from the Thing, and they're both like wow i think ash even says at one point like she needed that <laughs> like it was, yeah it's so funny i do love that whole like that whole episode the episode's called killer of killers it's great because it's really um very sort of quiet in the first two-thirds of it you know just with them talking i think ash trying to seduce his way out of paying the diner bill is just ridiculous and absurd sure but um I, that's so ash <laughs> That is so Ash. I will say this episode may have what might be my favorite shot of this entire franchise in general. And that is where Ash blows the deadite's head off and then like peeks over the stump. <laughs> like the deadite is still standing, but his head is just gone. And Ash like just peeks over. He's like, I told you I killed killers. Like it's just. Uh, I, I don't remember that. Scene, I, I love it. No, it's, yeah. it's just a single shot, but like the cop is on the floor and then Ash blows the, the, her old, I guess it's her boss or supervisor or something. And, uh, and he, he becomes a deadite. So Ash blows his head off and then the decapitated body is still sort of like standing there and Ash just sort of appears above it. <laughs> it's just, right. it's, it's pretty funny. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, good. So that was another episode of, TV, TV, hey TV, guideposts, TV guideposts, TV guideposts, TV guideposts, TV 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 <laughs> Full commitment right there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be my new that was almost That was almost Steve Martin level commitment. What? <laughs> now, I actually, I'm not sure what you were humming on that one. That was MacGyver. I just figured I'm going to bust oh, out. Oh, since since yeah. I realized with the Star Trek one that I can't win with you, I'm just going to bust out all my favorites and, you know, whatever. Well, Star Trek is one of your favorites. It is, and you can so you is can MacGyver. Win Star Trek, it just so right. Oh, I know. <laughs> so We're aware. here we are at Funnier Die number two. Number I haven't two. made that joke in a while. <laughs> you did it. You did it. I didn't do it. Um, you know what, Reed? What this? We're talking about Ghostbusters, and yes. it's strange how much this has come up in the last couple months on okay. the Field God. But this this Nintendo game was so hard. Go ahead. It was really, Go it was ahead. really difficult. Yeah, I, I, I get I get that it was difficult. Why don't you why don't you tell everybody about the about the other game you like to mention all the time? I, I was just talking about Ghostbusters, <laughs> man. It's like it's hard. There's a whole section at the towards the end of the game. Were you, would you say you were wrestling with it a lot when you were trying to beat it? 
Nope. <laughs> listeners, I'm not, I'm it's not so gonna funny. take your bait. If, if if listeners have only listened to Ghostbusters, they have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> You're like, um, no, the Ghostbusters NES game, the Nintendo Entertainment System game named the Ghostbusters, fashioned after this movie, was really difficult. Yeah. And at the end of it, it's funny because I was watching this movie being like, where does this show up in the movie? Oh. Because there's a part in the game that's meant to mirror at the end of the movie when they're ascending the building and the staircases, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah, that part is in the game is like this like unending staircase. You just have to climb sequence. the staircase forever. Yeah, it's awful. Wow. It's really difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's the object in the game? Like you just have to get up the up the stairs and it's hard. Because you tire out. I would, bro. I don't know. This was thirty years ago. I just remember that it was difficult. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't. You know, I don't. I mean, I, I barely remember yesterday, much less the video game thirty years ago. Just impressions. It's imprints, and the imprint is the staircase sequence on the NES Ghostbusters game was really difficult. So Not funny. to be confused with any sort of difficulty in wrestling you on the N sixty four game. That was in fact yes. quite easy. That's what I was waiting for. That's what I was waiting for. Controller froze up. Wow. Thank you for blaming right. it on the controller. So, tri- you're welcome. <laughs> Trivial bits on the Ghostbusters. So there's, so there's quite a few. Uh, we've, we have attempted to bring in the song a couple of times uh, in varying degrees or negligible success, we will, we will call it. Um, but I, the, I think we've been pretty successful. All right. So there's that. Um, so the Ghostbusters theme is strikingly similar to a song by Huey Lewis in the news called I Want a New Drug. Uh, which is funny because I had heard that and I had heard that before I heard the Huey Lewis song. When I listened to the Huey Lewis song, I Want a New Drug, yes, it is It is striking. <laughs> it is because they eventually sued Ray Parker Jr., the singer of the Ghostbusters theme. What's ironic about all of that... Did they win? I, you know, it's funny. I can't remember. It was probably settled out of court. Probably, because yeah. I can't remember if they actually even took it to court. But... Uh, the ironic thing about that is that Huey Lewis and the News were approached before Ray Parker Jr. to write the song for Ghostbusters, and they turned down <laughs> the chance to write the song. And then there was all this drama surrounding the actual theme song or whatever. Um, so did you know, because I know you, you're doing your research these days, did you find out all this? These days for two years. I know. What? I get it. Did you find out about Winston, the whole history about Winston and everything? I've got... A big paragraph I'm looking oh, at right you, now. Oh, why don't you tell us all about the history of Winston, the character of Winston Zedmore. Well, now, I knew I knew that Ernie Hudson had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the production. What I didn't know is that that was in part, or maybe in large part, or, or maybe totally due to the fact that an, init- an earlier script he'd been given had a much larger role for him oh, yeah. with a real elaborate backstory. Absolutely, so that yeah. part I didn't know. So... He agrees. I mean, it's valid. Oh, it's completely valid. It's it's valid. Yeah. So he's excited by that, agrees to the part for half his usual salary. Sure. Then, At least according to the the source I read, the night before shooting began, he was given a new script with a greatly reduced role. And that what Ivan Reitman told him was that the studio had wanted to expand Bill Murray's role, which is just... Always just sad because you love Bill Murray. Yeah, of like, course. No, yeah. And in a, two, in a 2005, not 2005, 2015 article for Entertainment Weekly, Ernie Hudson wrote that I love the character. He's got great lines, but I felt he was just kind of there. I love the movie. I love the guys. I'm thankful for the casting. I'm thankful that fans appreciate Winston. It's always been very frustrating. Mm, yeah. Did and you, that just sucks. I know. I know. Well, and the, the, another thing that I read about it is that originally the reason that the role was much larger was because it was originally sort of conceived as a vehicle for Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy was attached to it for, I think, a, a period of time, but then somehow either declined or he never accepted. I don't know the full scope of history at that point, but basically like it was Winston was a large role when Eddie Murphy was conceived for it. And then once Eddie Murphy was out, they made all these other sort of uh, different decisions. And the script Ernie Hudson was given was the version that had originally been intended for Eddie Murphy. So yeah, it's it, mm, that. Yeah, I didn't hear that part. That's yeah. all. That's all kind of a, a a big bummer in the scheme of things. Because I and thankfully, 
you know, uh, Winston's character is around and core part of the group for the entirety of Ghostbusters 2. But yeah, it's, it is very much uh, disappointing to hear and to see how he's treated in this film. He's an integral part of the cast, but still, I, I think, not really given his due as a character within this film. As much as I'll heap praise on the film, that's a, a big ding for me. Um, I mean, pretty much the trivial bits are a parade of almost almost wases. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Like, um, did you catch this? This is a little corner case here. Did you catch that Gozer was originally Paul Rubin? I did. Isn't that nuts? That's crazy. That's pretty. That's pretty insane. Did you see that Michael Keaton turns down both the Venkman and Spengler roles? Egon and Peter Venkman. I did not see. Yeah. Uh -uh. Uh, Other considerations for Egon included. Uh, Christopher Walken, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, and Jeff Goldblum. Can you imagine Jeff Goldblum in that role? That would have been, that would have been hysterical. Well, I think ground zero for this whole uh, kind of narrative is worth mentioning, and that's that it was the brainchild of Aykroyd and Belushi. Yes, initially, yes. And then Belushi died. Yeah. John and... Belushi, not Jim Belushi, just to clarify. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't say. You didn't say. You didn't say yes, which one, but yes, there are yes, two of them. True. And since we mentioned there Jim Belushi last week, I just figured I'd clarify. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. Um, and and that the original script is like bebopping around in the future mm-hmm. or something like that, yep. and features like monsters and creatures. And uh, apparently, Reitman liked the germ of some of the ideas, but overall, it was pretty impractical. Yes, yes. And it was going to be like just a budgetary nightmare to do some of the things that the original script was called out for. Now, what's interesting, all these conversations about script, uh, if there's a theme between last week and this week, uh, some connective tissue, uh, it's that I guess Bill Murray just couldn't care less about scripts because (laughs) I read that he is said to have ad-libbed so many of his lines in the film that virtually no scene in the movie is presented as it was originally scripted, at least as far as Venkman's concerned, that literally most of his stuff is improvised on the spot or an alternate take or something. Also, you know, we were singing the praises of Rick Moranis last week. The entire scene where Rick Moranis is mingling around with the party guests and he's just muttering this myriad of things uh, about his different party guests, that's all improvised. (laughs) Rick Moranis just came up with all of that. He, like, he is good Mm -hmm. in Little Shop. Yeah. He is a revelation. Oh, he's so fantastic. (laughs) He's He's hysterical. Yes, he's really amazing. And it is. It's funny. I didn't even think when we set out to do this, we had several films on the docket. We'll be getting to some of those. It didn't even dawn on me the the, you know, connective tissue between Little Shop of Horrors and Ghostbusters. But yeah, between these two Rick Moranis performances, I mean, he's he's brilliant. He's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. Well, and did you catch that? Originally, John Candy was pitched that role. Oh yes, I did, and he, I think he backed out because they didn't—they weren't using most of his ideas. Like he was bringing a lot of ideas to the role, and then Reitman was actively sort of pushing against most of them. So John Candy eventually just sort of bowed out. I don't think it was this big, disruptive thing, but I think he was just like, "Yeah, maybe maybe this is not the project for me." Um, and so then Rick Moranis stepped in, and and man, I mean, nothing against John Candy. John Candy's brilliant, but sure. Rick Moranis is brilliant in this role. He's amazing. <laughs> in this part this was um until home alone was released in 1990 this was the highest grossing comedy of all time box office comedy of all time uh home alone beat it in 1990 when it was released but yeah Hmm. very very popular very very famous uh was a huge hit home alone was what the french call les incompetents (laughs) i I'm I'm flummoxed. I don't know what I don't know what to say. Yeah. Well, you know, you got Les ten seconds to get your com- no good dirty keister off of my property. Or I'm gonna pump you full of lead. Wow. Oh my gosh. One, two, ten. <laughs> but we're not. Why'd you have to bring up Home Alone? <laughs> I know. Now this is gonna be the rest of the episode. Is you just riffing on Home Alone? Um, I'm- Lucky. <laughs> Obviously, so I'm I'm going to pivot into likes dislikes unless you had more Do it. burning trivial. No, I, um, I just want to keep quoting him. <laughs> but the uh, I mean, all of the performances are really strong. Uh, we've already mentioned sort of the complicated feelings about about Winston, but Rick Moranis is strong. Uh, Bill Murray, Aykroyd, Harold Ramis. Uh, pr- for me, particularly, 
Murray and Ramos are the standouts. I mean, they do have uh, a bulk of the screen time, but just as performances, uh, I love Ramos's just cold, deadpan delivery. Um, I think all of his his elements are genius. Um, I really like Annie Potts. All of the performances are really, really strong. Uh, Sigourney Weaver was uh, wanted to do this movie because prior to this, particularly with her success from Alien, she had been given a lot of uh, dramatic roles or straightforward roles, and she wanted to be in something that was more lighthearted. She considered herself to have some, you know, a decent set of of comedy timing and and comedy sensibilities and so she wanted to do something that would show that off a little bit more um so i again i just really like all of the performances in this it's very fun yes i agree i do think what i i think i really appreciate about ghostbusters now you might think differently and maybe i'd have to rewatch it but i feel like it does drag a little bit in the latter third but Mm. um and that's not even like I'm not like mad about it. I just remember feeling that way watching it this time. Um, But I do in general love, I know I have this reputation for innuendo or whatever, but like I love the non-obscenity of the comedy in this. Um, Mother puss bucket. (laughs) well, Well, I don't even mean like faking cuss words. I just mean like, the comedy of the movie is more wordplay and timing mm, and physical comedy right, and right, right, right. situational dynamics. Like it's not like if there is something these days that really uh, I like to think I've got a decent sense of humor and maybe a pretty, pretty good sense of humor, but so much of what kind of passes for funny in 2019 and maybe for the last decade or so, like, I just don't enjoy that much. Typically, it's very laced with profanity and oh, and, right, right, and, right, and, right, and explicit sort of sexual kind of content or whatever. That's it doesn't require it doesn't ask anything of you. Mm, you know, right? Like it doesn't. Right. It's just like oh, so and so did such and such, like really dirty stuff. Like it just doesn't. I don't know. And so one thing I really appreciated about this movie was it is genuinely funny. Yo, absolutely. But it oh, doesn't, absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't go to these like crude. Now, the the Ray getting sort of pleasured by the ghost in the middle of the movie is a little out of place. It's a little strange. Well, and another, yeah, there's the and there's a couple of scenes like that. Like I, I, I felt that way about that scene. I don't love the Dana possession scene. Like when he when he uh, when Vankman arrives and she's first uh-huh. possessed, like. And in hindsight, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just modern sensibilities or whatever. But in hindsight, the scene plays a little bit ickier than than funny or comedic to me, at least. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, so, so some of that humor doesn't quite land for me. But I don't want to, you know, spin a positive into a negative. I feel like you're absolutely right. Most of the comedy, there's a couple of those, you know, uh, sidebar outliers. But most of the comedy is really strong, based in verbal wordplay, based in situation, based in character dynamics, and it's and and it plays as funny now as it must have to audiences in 1984. Well, and I think like, have you heard of this? I'm gonna tick some people off here, maybe, but there's a new show on Netflix called "I Think You Should Leave." Have you heard of this? Uh, I've heard of the show, but not much about it. Well, a podcast I listen to features with some routine the comedian Jason Manzukas, who I do like. Um, you'd recognize him. I don't. I, I couldn't actually tell you. He, apparently, he's got a bit part in John Wick Three, and he's in this and that kind of other random comedy movies. But uh, I like him. He referenced it on a podcast I was listening to, so I was like, oh, I'm going to give this a chance. And there's a gentleman who's kind of the figurehead of this show. I think you should leave. And I want to be fair and say maybe in a certain context with a certain group or, or different type of setting they're just watching them solo, I might receive them differently. But it's just so obnoxious. Oh. And so like the humor is kind of sexually explicit in some places. And like, I don't mean it's visually. I just mean the, the right, language. Right. You know? No, I understand. And, and it's – and and like – it was this disheartening feeling of hearing someone like Jason Manzoukas, who I like, recommend the show and then go watch the show and be like, oh, well, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Um, but and, and, and even some of the, it's a sketch comedy show and even some of the, the sketches are humorous right, in their right. conceit. 
but it's just very obnoxious and very mm. you know crude and 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 so it was interesting having watched that show and then like two nights later watching Ghostbusters and being like oh this is so refreshing right people yes. who aren't yes you know just filth brain right of course although these guys probably are but this movie ultimately wasn't <laughs> no, they they definitely family friendly it up um the uh, uh, the last thing that i have in my little likes dislikes and then i have uh, one more comment that we can just breeze sort of past um so i just thought it was really funny they misquote revelation 712 with like just utter confident abandon like nothing of what the, it's not even like they paraphrase it like that's funny. Revelation seven twelve says nothing of what they say, but they just, but it's really so funny because the way the scene is presented is not like oh yeah remember where the Bible says blah 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 they just right. they're just like no, Revelation seven twelve about the rivers of blood and blah 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 it's like it, but nothing <laughs> there's nothing do you like that do you I say this sincerely do you wonder if that was a comedic choice like that's a good question the 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 Bible nerds are gonna be like that's not right I mean it could be it would not put me past this team of people to do that it also wouldn't put it past me or put it, it I would not put it past them to just throw out those random numbers and give zero care yeah. whatsoever if it yeah. was accurate. But uh, but I did it's just it's so funny because it is done with such It's like confidence. lingering lingering ghostbusters mysteries, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. What are you going to do? <laughs> Who are you going to call? Um so, <laughs> so um wow. So uh pivoting a little bit into uh scares if you will, the uh, fear portion of it. The opening in the library? No, I'm not done You're not yet. Done. Man, you got to give me a heads up. With likes, this. dislikes. Okay. This thi- well, you got to give me a heads up. You're like, and we're going to scares. I'm like, uh. You know what's funny? Um, okay, so what? Tell true me. True sidebar. Like, I thought I set you up for that when I said I have one more like, dislike, and then I have another thing I want to talk to you about. But it was funny. I just, I didn't set oh. you up properly for that. Well, you might have, but it's late <laughs> and I've had a little bit of knock off Bailey's and so I may have just missed that part. Um no, I I love I, I wrote practical effects are the best. Yes. And then I wrote Sigourney Sigourney's eggs, which has weird connotations <laughs> depending on what movie you're watching. But wow. you like you you watch movies these days and we do it all in CGI and of course you know I love in game. Like I'm not knocking sure of course the the, the Technolo- technological advances that permit us to see someone like Thanos snap half our heroes away. But like you do it all in CGI and everyone says, oh, well, that's how they did it. It's in a computer. It's just like, right. you know, oh, right. look. But you do practical stuff and at least I'm left being like, how did they do that? Right. And it's yes. just really, yes. really fun. You know, whether it's the egg scene on the countertop or slimer which i know it, it's a mix of it's a composite yeah. you know rotoscope and puppetry and sort of that sort well of stuff, but, but even her floating above her bed is a practical like it's borrowed from what they do in live stage shows for that she's in like a body cast sure. attached to an apparatus like it's full you know it, it is there's there's lots there are composites and stop motion animation and stuff like that but you're right it is that there's a lot of practicality to it that i think contributes to why it holds up so effectively um no i i absolutely i absolutely agree my last go ahead my last like is i love at the end when they've defeated gozer uh not to be confused with Wee herman (laughs) um they've defeated gozer and i love how hard all of the ghostbusters are working to free the attractive woman from her zool carcass And completely neglect uh, uh, Rick It's character. just, yeah. it's, you know, it's like the four men. Oh, it's, is she okay? Is she <laughs> right. in there? Oh, God, right. is she okay? Right. And over there is him just being like, hey, who does your text? Which is <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Anyway, so Reed, just to let you know, that's the end of my likes is likes. Good. So we can move Good. into... Wow, no. I'm just wow, I didn't know that would no, be the I'm response. Just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, so the only thing that I wanted to I wanted to just sort of hit and run with is um, so I do really enjoy this film. I I think we would be remiss. I think we've mentioned it on the show before, and we don't have to spend long here. But I mean, I I do think objectively, the I'll make this statement, and then maybe it doesn't need any more commentary than this on it. I think objectively the 1984 original is stronger than the 2016 version that they did with, um, you know, the full cast of, 
of women right. Ghostbusters, but it still baffles me and boggles my mind that there were, even though I would agree that the 1984 one is an objectively stronger film just as a piece, uh, I still don't understand like the ire and irritation that was leveled at that Come 2016. On. Well, it's like yes, yes, you do. I kind of understand it, but I just wish it. I wish no, I didn't understand yeah. it. Um, yeah, I was gonna say it's not because of the movie. No, which no. I agree with you. The movie's okay. Yeah, it's not like garbage. It's not amazing either. It's I enjoyed just, it. Is what it yeah. is. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. That's yeah. what I'm saying. But yeah, you you totally understand. That's yes, you know. that's true. So yeah. I just didn't want to make it all the way through an episode on Ghostbusters and not give um, some a cursory shout out to what I consider to be, while yes. Uh, not an outstanding film, a a highly watchable, and I enjoyed myself during it. Uh, the 2016, uh, I don't know, if it, remake, reboot, whatever, whatever iteration you want to say of that. You know, it's funny. I did in just just happened stance read this this week where a lot of Ragnarok, the Thor film, is to thank yeah, Ghostbusters is to thank for Thor Ragnarok just because Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, because right? of seeing him exercise comedic sensibilities. Right. So, so hey. Thank just, you, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters 2016 is awesome. <laughs> um, are you ready to move into some scares? I've only got one, so sure, let's do it. I, I really only have uh, two. So and, and the second one is like why don't a stretch. You, why don't you sandwich me? Okay, so the, uh, the opening in the library with the musical score... And uh-huh. the card catalog and everything, it always, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. Every single time I see that opening in the library, it always gets me ready and excited to watch the movie. It gets me right into the into the mood of it. That's one thing. We just mentioned the 2016 one, that they have a great sort of similar opening call out in, in that film, uh, sort of similarly toned and everything. Um, I don't I don't remember that. <laughs> it's a, I don't remember too many of the specifics, but basically, a guy's like going down into a a basement, and it and it ends with like the close, uh, the, oh, the panning okay. close up on his face and everything. Um, so uh, the what is what is yours? Uh, honestly, it's just, and you know, scare is a strong word, but the scene of um, Dana getting taken in her chair. That's what that was is, mine. That's mine. Well, there we go. Yeah, no, Samesies. Well, that's the thing is because it's a legit. Twinsies. That's, <laughs> that's the wow. thing. Is, it's it's good for a jump. It's good for a little like yeah. oh, a you little, know, little, like, a little like you, what is what does Audrey do in the first in little? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even I can't even replicate it. She's you gotta you know what I need to do is I need to what? record the clip of that and just substitute that instead of yeah. whatever atrocity just, I'm doing. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna do that instead. And so, the yeah. audience will love it. <laughs> that'll that'll really put it over the edge. Five stars yeah. right there. I'm gonna I'm gonna five star this for that yeah. Audrey sound clip insertion. Um, okay, so uh, listeners, we're gonna put our cards on the table here. I think the film. It's funny because we we cover these we cover this material and it's something that we. Um, you know, appreciate it's the nature of our show to dig into the, you know, what do we like about it just in general, and then to dig into something a little deeper. Um, Ghostbusters may not be the first one that we've that we've had this sort of experience with, but I think Nathan and I both were sort of pre-briefing a little bit. And uh, I do think, I'm not going to label this as a criticism, but I do think, thematically speaking, the film's a little hollow. It It feels like it is not terribly, and this is not, like I said, it's not a criticism. It feels like it's not terribly interested in saying something substantial. I feel like it's very interested in just having a good time. Um, I really wish I had like this massive, awesome, thematic <laughs> point to make right now because you're just like, so we just really don't have a whole lot to say. And then right. I'm like, well, no, actually, actually, the here's the ghosts, paradoxical, <laughs> the uh, the ghosts of our childhood that uh, have not left us. Uh, we will. <laughs> we will think about and they'll come back to haunt us and take out a city block or two. Yes, I did. Indeed. I did wonder, this is just unrelated to much of anything at the moment. I did think like stay puff marshmallow man as <laughs> iconic and sort of indelible as that imagery is, which is great. Sure. I mean, of course I yeah. did think multiple times watching this movie, like what an impressive uh, ground zero for an IP it is. Oh, right. um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But 
the sale of marshmallow man ultimately amounts to zero. <laughs> I mean, like literally, just nothing. Yes. Just, yes. He he walks about five steps and then catch <laughs> and then catches fire and then explodes. Like that, that is really it. <laughs> there were like five people that night whose cars got crushed. That are really. <laughs> By marshmallow. Yes. Like, I mean, can yes. you really be that mad about that? It's, it's you know, true. It's true. Get yes. the s'mores out. Like, <laughs> come on. Anyway, so I think no, what I you're trying disagree. to build to is there is not a whole lot of thematics to talk about here, which is maybe, you know, sometimes, l- listen, Reed, there are volumes that, that listeners can fill with our profundity. <laughs> our thematic exploration. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I will, um... there are shelves to fill. Oh, the absolutely. Knowledge, the knowledge and wisdom we <laughs> drop on here on a weekly basis. I will say, because it's part of the exercise and part of the, so we don't have like a, a an upfront mission statement, but it's part of the, the purpose of our show to explore all of the things that these films kind of unpack for us. Um, I did write down that there are some moments, perhaps accidental ones, of the interplay between credibility and incredulity, where basically... You know, you have characters. I mean, he, the actor, got skewered. Uh, the actor who plays Peck from the EPA, from the Environmental Protection Agency, Atherton. Um, yes, he got skewered. Like, like whenever he would walk out in the street, like pe- people would just antagonize him, throw marshmallows at him. Yeah, amazing. That hey, I did see awesome. a fun trivial bit where so the the marshmallow fluff that they're tossing on people at the end of the movie is actually shaving cream, and <laughs> I believe that. Initially, of course, Atherton gets, um, or the character's pet gets like hammered with it, and he made them test it on a stunt guy first because apparently they were just going to go. What? And so they they used yeah, so they used seventy five pounds of shaving cream that they drop on this stunt guy, and it it like lays him out. So they had to reduce oh. the amount. They drop it to like thirty pounds. So oh, yeah, they dropped this, my this gosh. massive amount of shaving cream on this dude and he just gets <laughs> like walloped. Just knocks out. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's so funny. That's why, and it's so funny because I was about to be like, dude, why are you testing it out on this? Well, I guess that makes sense. I was like, yep. no, no, test this out first. But his character in general, uh, and, and this is a staple of the 80s, you have the uh, faux authoritative figure who's trying to just flex his authoritative muscles and ultimately winds up unleashing the devastation that our heroes must compensate for and overcome. But there is this, you know, I, I do think there's some interesting conversations to be had, I'll be upfront, not by this movie, <laughs> but by people who are interested in these sorts of things. There are interesting conversations to be had about credibility and people looking at because uh, he, he just willfully and actively disbelieves in these ghost missions, these ghost busters. Um, that scene, it's it's painfully ridiculous when he's like, shut this thing off. And all of the warning signs are there. And then even the other guys he's working with, is like, look, I've never seen anything like this. I don't want to just go pressing buttons. He's like, turn it off. And they're just like this blatant arrogance to to completely bullheaded barrel through with your own personal mission. And again, I'm not going to pretend that Ghostbusters is having this conversation, but I think in the spirit of our show, if nothing else, it is worth considering the ways in which we will, again, stubbornly sort of deny the evidence at hand and press straightforward into ridiculous and potentially devastating consequences uh, simply by not being willing to interrogate our paradigms by not being willing to criticize our own presumptions we will just foolheartily just charge right through and unleash all the unleash all the ghosts on the city and and bring about the the summoning of gozer and the destructor so that's what i have to yes that's <laughs> what i have to say about that that's it's like when someone asks you if you're a god, you just say yes. I'm like, I was just saying yes to it you. Was, it was weird to me, like, and it was so funny because as I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, Winston says he really digs Jesus' style, and they're talking about, you know, consequences of real wrath of God stuff, biblical proportions, and he's like, cats and dogs living together, mayhem, you know? Uh, and uh, And so, like, they flirt with a lot of these things, but then never, again, I don't think they're interested in doing it. This is probably a... No. A, a symptom of 
so many of these scenes being improvised. Right. That yeah, um, that's it. That the, <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah, that's 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 it. That's the, that's the one. Nathan Nathan sitting over there like Reed, stop, stop talking. <laughs> Stop. Please stop talking. <laughs> it's so it's so late and it's Ghostbusters. Who you who are you gonna call? I'm gonna call. Who are you gonna call? My bad. I'm gonna call Mr. Sandman to put me to sleep and say, yeah, you know, bring, bring me, me a dream. dream. Yeah, that's right. Boom, 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 um, boom. So, uh, so yeah, just as a as a sort of a final button on that, I think you know you could examine the character of uh, Peck from the EPA as a cautionary tale against being too stubbornly incredulous against the evidence at hand. Because listen, sometimes. It's it's really ghosts in the machine, and you don't want to shut that machine down because then it'll just it'll just unleash them on the city, and then that then you get seventy five pounds of marshmallow dropped on your head. Or shaving cream, but yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on a on a very weak episode of uh, <laughs> no very thin theme a very strong thin episode. Theme. Yes. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. Um, so why don't we go ahead and bring it to the What fog is the story meter. you're telling yourself, Reed? <laughs> That's true. Um, I uh, So let's go bring it into the fog meter. The fog meter is the metric by which we measure these uh, elements on the, the guides of the title of our show, Fear and God. We measure the scares. We measure the substance. On the fear measurement for Ghostbusters, I mean, it ultimately is a comedy. These are The series is hashtag funny or die. But there's a, there's a couple of creepy moments, and I like the I like the whole little aesthetic of thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a three for scares. I was gonna say a three. Look at that, a three. Oh, so I'm gonna gosh. go with a three. That's right, dude. What? I pivoted high for Little Shop of Horrors on you know like Little Shop of Horrors. I was like I went full bore for it. Uh, dude, I'm I'm gonna give Ghostbusters a two for theme, like because I don't because I don't think there's much there. I'm sorry, it, listeners. I will throw this down. No, Nathan, what did you, what what you gonna give it for theme? I like how you're just like inviting everybody else in. You're like, I I know you've fallen asleep over there, Nathan. But <laughs> well, with your head um, back and your eyes closed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. Uh. Audrey too. Um. <laughs> a two. A two. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we give Ghostbusters. <laughs> we give we give a film that I think we would say we actively enjoy and 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 might even in some ways love. We give it a two point five out of ten on the fog meter. Um, so I mean, so, if you listen to the show, you understand the the yes. sort of substance of the measurement is not one of entertainment value. That is true. Oh, that is so such a good way to put that. The substance of the measurement is not of entertainment value. But speaking of entertainment value, would you recommend Ghostbusters to anybody? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, was like, of course I, would. I was trying of course to make the joke like the metric isn't substance of entertainment value. This, however, yes, I would not recommend. <laughs> um, no, I, I think it's very entertaining. It's wonderful. Yeah, like I, I said, I do. I do think that latter kind of third. It's, they could have tightened up a little bit on the editing. Sure, but sure, you know, whatever. Overall, it's very entertaining. Yeah, uh, I, I wholeheartedly recommend Ghost Us. Especially if for some strange reason someone's not seen it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a good point. Um, in the words of our other good friend, uh, Andy Hillabovus whitfield uh, you got a classic on your hands, and when you got a classic on your hands, you got to... <laughs> You got to recommend it. Um, so, so <laughs> that's that's so hillabofus. <laughs> um, so no, of course we wholeheartedly recommend. Was that on Ghostbusters. Pet Cemetery? That was yes, it was on Pet Cemetery. Um, I'm I I mean, like I love this film. It's so funny because I I watched Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters Two. Uh, I think either last year or two years ago, while I built the Lego Ecto One. Like it was such a fun experience to get to watch those movies, and and I do really enjoy this film. But I do think, if we're being honest with ourselves, there's just not a lot of uh, substantial there, conversation. There. Yeah, there's not yeah. a lot of substantial conversation. It's not like Little Shop of Horrors where you bring in this unique little plant and suddenly it devours you with all of its <laughs> all of its nope. substance and theme. Um, so, but still, listeners, of course. We love Ghostbusters. You love Ghostbusters. If you, the listener, have found some rich, deep theme, please, by all means, I say with no facetiousness whatsoever, share it with us. Go to the social media groups. Email us. All of our social media cues are going to be at the uh, in the credits of our episode. Please, by all means, share with us your substantive themes for Ghostbusters. But Nathan. Reed. Thank you so much for indulging me, for having this this chat with me. I really appreciate it. 
You are so beautiful um, to me. <laughs> you are so you are so welcome, Riri. <laughs> I am thankful to be traversing the path of funny or die uh, with you finally. So so next week uh, we're continuing on obviously with our funny or die segment. Uh, catch up if you're following along with this with the next three episodes. Ash versus Evil Dead. So watch the next three episodes of Ash versus Evil Dead and check out the film that we will be covering next week, which is a film I greatly enjoy and I'm very excited to revisit, which is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. So please check that out. I think it's streaming on Netflix right now. I think it's streaming on Shudder too. Uh, a few places you can check it out. Check out Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Check out Ash versus Evil Dead and check out us next week when we talk about all of it. Nathan. Indeed. Thank you so much, as always, for everything. You're so welcome, buddy. We'll see you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed by Lee Wright and Reed Lackey, and our podcast art was crafted by Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com. Merchandise for the show can now be found at tpublic.com. Just search for The Fear of God Podcast, all one word. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.